Welcome to the Equine Veterinary Journal Podcasts. This podcast contains recording from the News Hour at Beaver Congress 2022. Uh, our next speaker is Anna Maria Naj, have I pronounced it right? <laughs> um, who's going to discuss uh, some imaging papers. So, good morning. Um, I'm going to run through uh, a little bit too many number of papers in this 15 minutes, and I'm trying to highlight those that either contain clinically relevant information and imaging that can be put directly into practice, or make us think how we can improve our uh, interpretation of diagnostic imaging. So there are several systems now available worldwide uh, that allow standing computed tomographic examination of the equine limb. This paper was um, one of the first from where the Calibra CT was installed, and they described the feasibility of this system. So this is a large gantry human CT system with a specific adaptation for use in the equine limb. So as you can see the, um, oops, I'm sorry. Uh, this is the CT machine here. It's uh, placed in a pit on a specifically designed mobile platform. So the gantry slides backwards and forwards during examination. And uh, with the mobile platform, it can be elevated and then lowered to accommodate for examination of different parts of the limb or the horse. So in this study, they examined 32 horses, actually equids, there was one donkey as well. The majority of the examinations were done in the distal aspect of the limb, but they also acquired images of the proximal aspect of the suspensor ligament and the carpus and the uh, hock. They concluded that uh, motion was the biggest problem during image acquisition. As you can see on this image on the right, it can confound in image interpretation. But the image acquisition time being as uh, small as 15 seconds, this problem is usually overcome in the majority of the cases and they managed to acquire diagnostic quality images in the vast majority of their population. They concluded that uh, this system was best for CT examination of the distal aspect of the limb, but images can also be acquired of the carpus and the tarsus. Now this paper was accepted uh, one or two years ago now, so they might have changed their opinions. Actually, we are using the same system and we find that um, it is quite easy to uh, obtain images of uh, proximal regions as the carpus and the hock. It's, most of the time it's not any more difficult than the distal aspect of the limb. So when we start using new imaging technique and uh, we image regions that we don't routinely use to look at, we always find new things. And it's very important to try to establish the clinical significance of these abnormalities. And one of the ways to do that is to look at normal horses and non-limb horses. And this is what exactly this paper did. They described uh, computer tomographic appearance of the elbows. I found the title somewhat misleading. I was completely astonished how they could collect so many horses with elbow pain, but actually of these 30, 139 elbows, they had 16 horses with elbow pain. These were either confirmed by diagnostic anesthesia or they had significant lesions in the elbow but had negative uh, points to an, uh, intra-article anesthesia and they excluded other sources of pain. But they imaged uh, an amazing number of 133 control elbows. These were either in the contralateral limb or these horses had lameness localized distal to the elbow. So in horses with elbow pain, the most common lesions were osteocyst-like lesion in the medial aspect of the uh, proximal radius 
or the uh, distal aspect of the humerus. They found the total sclerosis rate to be higher in horses with elbow pain, but only in a proximal medial radius. What is a great strength of this paper that they really describe a number of abnormalities in the non-lame limbs, and they included sclerosis in the proximal medial radius and the medial trochlea of the humerus, linear resorptive lesions, and these might uh, remind you what we can see in the sagittal group on the proximal phalanx in non-lame horses as well. They also described osteophyte formation and antesiopathy in various regions. So this really highlights that when we start to image a new region, it's important to become familiar what we can see in normal horses so we don't misinterpret them as the cause of lameness in lame limbs. Uh, it is uh, one of the weaknesses of the previous study was that they didn't have the radiographs available, so they didn't compare it. And when we do advanced imaging, it's really, really useful to compare them to conventional imaging techniques so we can improve our interpretation of radiographs as well by learning information from advanced imaging. And that's what the next study did from the United States. They compared radiographic results of the proximal uh, third metatarsal bone with high Tesla, uh, three Tesla MR studies. This was a predominantly quarter horse population. And unfortunately, uh, although these were considered lame limbs, the uh, source of pain was not confirmed with diagnostic anesthesia, so we don't know if all these horses had pain originating from the proximal metatarsal region. They identified radiographic changes uh, in the proximal third metatarsal bone in over half of horses. All of them had sclerosis and uh, nearly half of them had loosened lesions as well. On MRI, in somewhat fewer horses were associated lesions identified. They included sclerosis, bone marrow lesion, resorption, and proliferation of the plantar cortex. And they identified proximal suspensory desmopathy in 15 horses. The following analysis of that data, they concluded that radiographic changes did not predict the presence of the severity uh, of proximal suspensory desmopathy in this predominantly quarter horse population, but they were associated with those changes. So this, they suggest that, that the findings should be uh, considered uh, not only when interpreting images of lame horses, but also when interpreting pre-purchased radiographs. The next study was from Hong Kong, and they described a case series on a stress fracture of the palmar distal cortex of the third metagalpa bone, and these were diagnosed uh, with radiography. They had 29 fractures in 23 uh, horses over a nine-year period. And uh, the fracture, the second fracture, occurred in the same horses, always in the contralateral limb, some months after the first, month, uh, first fracture. So a feature that uh, many horses had in common, that they either recently started or returned to training, and some of these horses had not done any fast work at all before. So the vast majority of the horses were lame. Over two-thirds had localized soft tissue swelling in the region. Uh, the same number of horses had pain on palpation, and half of the horses had pain on fetaloflexion. Radiographic findings included localized increased opacity in the palmar cortex, a disruption of the outline of the periosteum, sometimes with a radiolucent line, and outward displacement of the button of the spin bone. And they found these lesions most commonly located in the palmarolateral cortex uh, of the third metacarpal bone. It was interesting that nearly two-thirds of the horses were misdiagnosed on the initial examination, and the most common misdiagnosis was cellulitis, most likely due to the local pain and the swelling. At least one radiographic signs were present within five days of the initial clinical signs, and uh, the most of the horses returned to training, but only just over half of them raised as well. 
So they uh, authors highlighted that these certain clinical features should alert the clinicians uh, dealing with racehorses to the possibility of the fracture of the distal uh, palmar cortex of the cervical bone, and it is paramount that we have very high quality radiographs and carefully assess these for the correct diagnosis. So some horses with, staying with racehorses uh, with lateral condylar fractures also have axial fractures of the proximal sesamoid bone and the presence of these axial fractures significantly worsen the prognosis of these horses. In this retrospective study, authors tried to determine which was the best radiographic view to highlight the axial fracture of the proximal sesamoid bone that allow us to establish an accurate prognosis. So they read, reviewed radiographs of 124 lateral condylar fractures and to determine the correct angle of the oblique radiographs, they performed CT studies on cadaver limbs and estimated the angle based on these images. So they concluded that it was a 20 degree dorsal medial palmar lateral oblique view that highlighted the uh, best, uh, this fracture line, um, and the flexed uh, 20 degree uh, oblique view helped to establish the presence of displacement. So stay with racehorses, uh, osteochondral fragmentation of the dorsal proximal uh, aspect of the proximal phalanx is common in thoroughbreds, but radiographic uh, examination is not always conclusive. Sometimes the presence of a discrete fragment cannot be established, only suggested. So in this retrospective study, um, they uh, examined uh, radiographic and ultrasonographic uh, examinations of, these, uh, of 81 fetlocks of 51 thoroughbreds using arthroscopy as the gold standard for establishing presence of fragmentation. Ultrasound was performed in a weight-bearing limb uh, using transverse and longitudinal images. So authors concluded that ultrasonography had a great sensitivity and specificity for detecting these fragments and transverse ultrasound images were more sensitive than the longitudinal ones. And ultrasonography had greater sensitivity than radiography for detecting fractures. So they suggested that ultrasonography should be used in thoroughbreds uh, to detect this uh, proximal pharyngeal fragmentation if radiographic findings are ambiguous or absent. So this study came from endurance horses, which also race at quite high speed these days. And they, uh, in this retrospective study, they used transcutaneous and transrectal ultrasonography to detect uh, stress injuries and bone fatigue injuries in the pelvis of endurance horses. This was a really good study uh, that related very detailed clinical uh, findings to the imaging abnormalities and also to the outcome. And on this image, you can see a transcutaneous uh, and transrectal image of the fracture of the uh, ileal shaft. So they identified 60 endurance horses with pelvic bone stress injuries and or fatigue fractures, and these represented uh, just over 7% of all musculoskeletal injuries in the population of the authors. So uh, nearly half of them were isolated iliac fractures, followed by fracture of the floor of the pelvis, mostly the pubis, um, and tuberous sciatic fractures, and 20% of the horses had multiple fractures. A reasonable number of these horses returned to competition following uh, uh, proper rehabilitation. This paper highlighted to me that just with a relatively simple imaging technique, we can really um, diagnose some new uh, conditions by having a really uh, thorough knowledge of anatomy and thinking outside the box. A paper from this RAL uh, provided really nice description and reference anatomic and ultrasonographic images of the point of the hock, which is commonly injured on horses, and we tend to think mostly of radiographic examination. 
And the authors really highlighted that ultrasound is there, it's easy to perform, it doesn't need any specialist equipment, just knowledge of the anatomy and it should be used if lesions are or pain is located to this region before we consider further diagnostic imaging technique. A really practical tip for me was uh, that um, flexed uh, ultrasound should be performed as well. The, on this image, you can see that uh, the gastrocnemius tendon includes some hypoechoic areas, and this is because some of the fibers are not stretched in weight-bearing position, and with the flex the limb, we can uh, get rid of these hypoechoic areas and establish whether they are real or just result of relaxation artifacts. In the last paper, um, these authors uh, showed us how we can uh, confirm accuracy of uh, intraarticular injections or intrasynovial injections by a really simple technique using contrast enhanced ultrasounds. They uh, did a cadaver study and they also tried their technique on um, uh, clinical cases as well. Basically what they did, they withdrew 20% of the volume uh, of the injectate as air from room air and they agitated the solution uh, resulting in some air bubbles that can be detected on ultrasound immediately after injection as you can see it on the right side in this medial femoral tibial joint. So the technique is really easy to perform, it didn't have any side effects, it's used in humans as well and we can use it to de establish the accuracy of intracranial injection and also to uh, investigate or confirm communication between synovial structures. And with that, I thank for your attention. Thank you very much, Anna Maria. Thank you for listening to this Equine Veterinary Channel podcast. More about the subjects discussed today can be found online at wileyonlinelibrary.com forward slash journal forward slash evj.